Welcome back. Upset. The 2022 midterms just happened, and they did not go according to anyone's expectations for the evening. From surprise wins to stalled results, we'll discuss what happened, who won, and what this means for President Biden and 2024. We'll be taking a look at those stories and more today, November 11th, 2022. From Ishan Media, this is the Ishan S Show, a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics, with me, your host, Ishan. Hello, thank you for joining us today for the first post-midterm episode of the Ishan S Show. I can't believe we're here at this moment. I mean, time flies. I never, ever thought that the midterms would just creep up on us like that and just end. It's wild. For this show, we had done our first live blog and posted, covered our first election. Uh, if you check out our, checked out our Twitter and Instagram, you might have even seen it populated with all sorts of Ishan S. Show projections. Um, you know, we've gained some notoriety. People are noticing us, and it's all thanks to you. And because of this, this show has now entered, officially entered a new era, an era of, you know, post-2022 midterms. We are now in the second part of this show where it's not about the 2022 midterms anymore. Now we are a serious political podcast that discusses political news topics. And I think this era is going to be very, uh, a new era in this show is going to be a lot more interesting, exciting, and I hope we have a lot in store for the future. So thank you for all your support thus far. Now, speaking of eras, when we had uh, last talked, I told you that we would be speaking in a new era of America. We'd enter a new era. Yeah, that didn't happen. (laughs) Of all the things that I can talk about that happened Tuesday night, I think the biggest the most notable thing of this evening is just how much Republicans underperformed expectations. We here on the show and political pundits everywhere, polls, the networks, everyone had predicted a red wave. What does that mean? Well, it's like imagining a literal wave of Republicans washing over the entire country and sending people to D.C., i.e., Huge, huge numbers in terms of pickups. Everyone predicted a bloodbath for Democrats. I'm sure you heard it in a lot of places. I certainly thought that on Tuesday when I tuned into live coverage. But as the night went on, and maybe I noticed it more because I was posting live updates, Republicans sucked. And that's not what a red wave is. So let's understand where things stand. Um, As of the writing of this script, neither Republicans nor Democrats have officially gained control of either house. I mean, there are organizations out there that are projecting their results, sure, but most networks, reputed institutions, are yet to make that call. Now, in a normal red wave year, there would be no question of a Republican majority, at least in the House of Representatives. 
we would have known on election night itself and we probably wouldn't even ha- we wouldn't have even needed to wait that much into the night a red wave would have crashed down and it would have been decided then and there now minority leader kevin mccarthy person you've heard about on the show before really wanted to give a speech around 11 p.m. Eastern time to a crowd of Republican supporters at the Republican National Committee uh, headquarters declaring victory and cementing his strong mandate to become speaker. But the reality was that never came. Instead, he came around 2 a.m. to tout some accomplishments and then just left. His future as speaker currently remains uncertain. Now look, Republicans are likely to gain control of the House. I still stand by that, but the margin by which they are going to win control is going to be minuscule. This isn't going to be a commanding majority, and it's pretty honestly going to be lame, especially with the very high expectations that everyone had going in for them with that not being there, with that being absent, it, it, it didn't meet up to the moment. Even Democrats were stressed out about Tuesday. For many, it wasn't a discussion about if they were going to lose on Tuesday, but rather it was a question of how bad they were going to lose. But many of them are now confirmed to be going back uh, to Congress in January, to their surprise. Holistically speaking, Democrats actually defied odds. Uh, on Tuesday evening. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's because history was not on Democrats' side going into Tuesday. Historically speaking, the incumbent party's first midterm, the incumbent president's first midterm, tends to be terrible for that president's party. It's not a rule or anything. It's more of an unwritten rule in politics. But the way the American electorate operates, it's just the way things have happened in America for over four decades. For some context, here's some numbers. The average seat loss has been 27 seats since 1946, when all but two midterms saw the president's party perform terribly. In 2010, when President Obama was in office, his party lost 63 seats in the House and six in the Senate. Eight years later, Trump's first midterm, his party lost 40 seats in the House and gained two Senate seats. Now, the Senate seats might not be that consistent. Generally, you lose seats in the Senate as well sometimes. But just looking at the latter half of the 21st century, I think we can understand the idea that incumbent parties tend to lose in the House of Representatives. And generally, they tend to lose big. Now, couple this with the fact that President Biden, going in, had a 41% approval rating, lower than most of his presidential peers at this point in their presidency. The generic ballot was not friendliest to the Democrats as the overall environment hindered their ability to perform well due to inflationary and cost-of-living concerns. Then, many Democratic candidates had begun to see their polling numbers drop. I think one example was in Pennsylvania after the debate that happened there for the Senate election uh, when John Fetterman's numbers started to drop. That was just one example. Um, I mean, his numbers dropped as a result of his performance that day. He had, a, had, he had suffered from a stroke in May, and because of that, he does struggle with some auditory and um, or just some with, with some auditory uh, issues. 
but that was very visible. And looking at the politics of it, it wasn't very good in terms of optics. And I think that really hurt John Fetterman's numbers because people were questioning his wellness to be in office. But that's just besides the point. Um, it met into this general trend of Democratic candidates not doing that well uh, in the polling numbers. Now, if you put all of these things together, you know, it didn't look very good for Democrats. I mean, even politicians that I've talked to were concerned about the potential for a so-called red wave hitting the country. And I talked to uh, quite a few politicians about their concerns about this. Last week, we had Neil Mishra on the show who said that he was worried about Democrats not doing very well in a not-so-friendly environment for Democrats. So if you look at the hard facts that were in front of people like myself, well, the odds were against Democrats, and that's why we predicted such. But then going into election night on Tuesday, I was at my election night parties talking to people, it wasn't really, again, a question of if Democrats had a chance, but rather how bad they were going to do. So knowing all that, it was really surprising and actually weird to see all these returns come in that were showing some surprisingly, uh, surprisingly close races. It wasn't the sweep that we were initially thinking of, but rather many of us watching there, at least where I was at, we were more like, they haven't called a, that race yet, or we're still waiting there. Oh, weren't they supposed to get that? So that was the theme of the night. Now, long story short, as of the recording of this episode, which is on Thursday, November 10th, neither House of Congress has been called for either party. If we look to the New York Times, in the House, the composition is 191 for Democrats to 209 Republicans, and in the Senate, it's 48 de um, Democrats to 49 Republicans, with three seats outstanding in the Senate. With these numbers, there are 35 seats that are yet to be called in the House of Representatives, and that is mainly due to the extremely close um, in realities of these races. For example... In New York's 18th congressional district, the Democratic incumbent, Pat Ryan, is leading his ch Republican challenger 50.6% to 49.4%. Or in California's 13th, 13th congressional district, Republican John Duarte is leading his Democrat opponent 50.1 to 49.9, with just 50% of the vote in. Or we can look at Colorado, where conservative firebrand Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is losing to her Dem was losing to her Democratic challenger Adam Frisch by only 62 votes. Things have since changed now, and it's about 50.1 to 49.9. But mind you that this race had a 97% likelihood of going red, which means 62 vote margins is not acceptable. And it's surprisingly close. Now, a lot of the vote in these 35 House seats remains outstanding. And with very little understanding of where things stand, whoever will be in control of the House is still uncertain. Nothing is confirmed. Then in the state-level elections, most incumbents actually won their seats 
Um, there weren't any major surprises in the reliable blue states or the reliable red states. Like, for example, Tammy Duckworth, my U.S. senator here in Illinois, won her race. And John Kennedy, a Republican in Louisiana, won his seat. But the swing states is where things got interesting. In Ohio, J.D. Vance, the Trump-backed Republican who spewed claims of election fraud, won Ohio's open seat, beating Congressman Tim Ryan, who said he was, quote, honored to concede. Um, he said that he was honored because it was in the name of democracy. Then in Wisconsin, this race took a while, but incumbent Ron Johnson, who we've talked about here on Midterm Watch before, won a third term to office after beating Lieutenant Governor, a Democrat, Mandela Barnes. Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, a Democrat, fended off challenger Tudor Dixon, a conservative commentator who became the Republican nominee for governor after quite an unusual primary. Florida's Republican ticket, with firebrand Governor Ron DeSantis and Senator Marco Rubio, overwhelmingly won re-election. We'll talk more about um, Governor DeSantis after the break. Republican Governor Chris Sununu, a potential 2024 candidate, and Democrat Senator Maggie Hassan, both, of, both from New Hampshire, beat their rivals, winning another term to their respective offices. Then Governor Laura Kelly of the state of Kansas, a Democrat, was considered one of the one of the most vulnerable governors in the country in terms of their reelection prospects because she was a Democrat in ruby red Kansas. She won reelection. But the biggest headliners, I think we can start with are from Pennsylvania. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman won Pennsylvania's open Senate seat after beating Dr. Mehmet Oz, a major win for Democrats, and the only pickup of the night so far anyway. This came after there were concerns about Fetterman's health that I mentioned earlier and his polling numbers not doing that well. Um, you know, he pulled things around, I guess. Attorney General Josh Shapiro beat his far-right opponent, Doug Mastriano, to be elected governor of Pennsylvania. This wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it was notable because of the fact that it could have gone to um, a far-right candidate who said that he, uh, who is an election denier himself, um, Doug Mastriano, that is, and made all sorts of really interesting claims. Um, yeah, so... He, um, so Josh Shapiro is now the governor-elect. Georgia's Senate election between Herschel Walker and incumbent Raphael Warnock is now expected to move on to a runoff, which means neither candidate got 50% on Tuesday. So now there's going to be another election with Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock in Decem on December 6th, I believe. Incumbent Republican governor and Trump foe Brian Kemp beat his now two-time challenger, Stacey Abrams, for the state's top job. And then in Nevada, the race is currently the race for Senate is currently cl too close to call uh, as Democrat candidate or Democrat incumbent Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is losing to her GOP challenger. In Arizona, incumbent Democrat Mark Kelly is in a close match against his GOP challenger, Blake Masters. But the hotly contested gubernatorial election between Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs remains too close to call. Whoa. 
That was a lot of races that we just glossed over. Uh, that was the night in a nutshell. When we come back from the break, we'll explore just exactly how we came to this point and what it means for President Biden, his policies, the Republican Party, and 2024. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short, short break. All right, we're back from the break. So before we left, we were talking about the results of Tuesday night. And I think from at least the information we have, we can tell that Republicans really underperformed. And President Biden, well, he had a very good night. But how did we get to this point? What caused this? Well, many Republicans are now increasingly pointing their fingers at Donald Trump. Whoa, you're surprised, aren't you? I mean, this is a guy who we've always thought to be a kingmaker in Republican politics. It was his party. Surely if he was endorsing candidates, then they had to have something going for them, right? Well, Donald Trump, um, according to many in his party, was wrong, um, is wrong. And they're not very happy. They aren't, there aren't very many verified sources about this, but there are reports coming out of Trump world that people are mad about the fact that Trump was the main contributor to a real candidate quality issue for Republicans. Now, what do I mean by candidate quality? I mean electability. It's how likable or relatable a candidate may seem to the general electorate. And so if you have a candidate quality issue, it may not necessarily be what your candidate stands for, but rather who your candidate is that ends up being a bit of a liability. Now, Republicans love Trump at least for now. Uh, so in a primary, what he says goes. And that means loyalists of his being selected by Republican voters to be nominees. Now, this loyalty and this love for Trump and Republican primaries doesn't really transfer to the general election. And, and I think in a state like, for example, Pennsylvania, someone like Doug Mastriano, who was at January 6th riding, who wore a Confederate Army costume at a U.S. Army base, a picture that was leaked around and caused major controversy for him, and has said some really weird things. Well, he's a liability, technically speaking, and he proved to be that for Republicans who really just wanted someone from their party to be elected governor of Pennsylvania. Or if even, again, if we use Pennsylvania as an example, everybody wanted... Dave, um, I think it was Dave McCormick. Maybe I'm getting the name wrong, but Dave McCormick was running for Republic, uh, the Republican primary for Senate in Pennsylvania. But per after Trump's insistence, the nominee ended up being Dr. Mehmet Oz. He endorsed Oz, and that's who Pennsylvania Republican voters selected. But now many people in Republican circles are saying that McCormick would have probably done much better, especially against Fetterman. So... Going back to Mastriano, Trump handpicked Mastriano, but Mastriano was unable to perform. He didn't resonate or appeal to the general electorate, and I think Trump really underestimated their judgment. Now, that's not to say that I'm giving my opinion by any respect, but the facts are the facts, and Doug Mastriano was handpicked by Trump. 
there was a real question about candidate quality, and this was actually a major issue brought up by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who wasn't very happy about a lot of the Senate Republican nominees. Um, he, this was an issue he brought up. And so the facts are there. And, and Mastriano lost, in addition to many other candidates. So the facts are there. Now, whether or not this is correlation or if this is causation is for, you know, the political scientists out there to decide. Anyway, this is all re- what really, if we go with what my theory is, this is all that really spread through the night in a multitude of Republican losses or, at, as of this point, uncalled races. Trump is now reportedly furious about this, and he is angry with the candidates themselves for losing because he doesn't think that it's his fault or that it's his responsibility. Now, this, I think, on my, uh, this reported, I think, on May that Trump plans on announcing, announce, or at least planned on announcing his candidacy for president again on Tuesday. You heard me right. He is very likely going to run again. That's no surprise. And he really wants to announce on Tuesday. So that's four, three, four days away. And I think you might have read about it. There was going to be an Ishan Eshow post that never came out. But um, to catch some of you up, Trump is reportedly thinking about announcing a bid for president on Tuesday, November 15th. He was really hoping on riding on the midterm high that he thought would be there in order to capitalize on it and bolster his presidential prospects. Now, though, after Tuesday night, many in his inner circle are urging him to reconsider that November 15th announcement because of the disappointing night that Tuesday was for Republicans. Some say that maybe he should wait for after the Georgia runoff election so as to save Herschel Walker's chances. Some say that maybe he should wait even longer, well into next year. But, of course, we don't really know what's going to happen. Only Donald Trump does. Now, a major victor of the night, arguably, was Ron DeSantis. Now, I've said it repeatedly that DeSantis is presidential material, and he needs to be watched for the future because he holds some real potential within him for within the Republican Party. In fact, he won his Florida re-election bid for governor by over 20%. That's a staggering number. Four years ago when he ran, barely a few percentage points. I think even less than a percentage point, actually. Maybe, whatever it is, minuscule. Now, this time, he beats that by 10 times. That's a huge amount. Uh, and that was a huge swing that uh, DeSantis managed to pull off. It's unheard of in Florida politics. And that's why some are starting to say that he's a legitimate threat to a potential Trump 2024 bid. Yeah, we're talking 2024. DeSantis hasn't said much about his presidential prospects, but he certainly thinks about it um, in a debate, I think, or maybe it was somewhere else. But he pledged, he did not pledge, rather, to stay in office for the next four years. He did not want to sign that pledge. Obviously, he has some presidential ambitions. That's what that indicates. Um, and tr- uh, so DeSantis hasn't been saying much about this, but 
Trump certainly has. He's been increasing his attacks on DeSantis and even claims to have dirt on him. A not-so-subtle way of saying, don't act too smart. Here's a clip of Trump going after DeSantis. We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see, there it is, Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10%. So that was that clip of <laughs> Donald Trump really trying to make fun of Ron DeSantis there. I don't think you can really think, I don't think you can really say that Donald Trump has kind of lost favor for Ron DeSantis, someone who he claims made, he made, uh, he made him who he is today, you know, that type of thing. Of course, if the Donald or DeSantis are to be the Republican nominees, what about the Democrats, specifically Joe Biden? I think in terms of Biden, this midterm election was going to be the ultimate deciding factor for Democrats. Like this was either going to be the nail in the coffin or the blessing. It turned out to be the blessing. With such good numbers from Tuesday night, or at least exceeding expectations that we had, it now it seems likely that Biden could theoretically win in 2024, especially with the groups his party won this time. And the country doesn't hate him as much as we nearly thought. When we said 41% approval rating, that was according to 538 averages. That was according to polling aggregates. But exit polls from election day showed that it was actually sitting higher at around 44%. So, okay, still not good numbers, but higher than what we thought. And presidents have pulled off, pulled things off with lesser numbers than that. So 44%, I think Biden should take the win. So that's good news for him. He has said that it is his intention to run in 2024 for re-election. But obviously, it sprouted some questions because he'll be 82 if he is to win another uh, term. He will be 82 years old, and he still is not super-duper popular, which is why people are re were really questioning his electoral capacity in the first place. I think these midterms have kind of pushed things over the edge in Biden territory, but he's obviously thinking about it. And he's told aides privately that he really does want to run. And he is annoyed, flustered, if you will, with Democrats not really giving him enough credit where he thinks should be due. Um, he has said that he'll decide if he wants to run, run um, early next year. Now, if he is to run, he his prospects of winning are going to be really based on what he's able to accomplish. And if he comes in with a divided Congress, well, it it's not, there aren't a lot of possibilities for him. So you need to see where this works. And because so many of these races remain uncalled, control of Congress is still unknown. With razor-thin majorities these first two years in, of his presidency, Democrats were barely able to get a lot of things or a few things done. So if it's a divided Congress, what is he supposed to get done at all? Well, Biden touted his, when he was on the campaign trail, his bipartisanship and his ability to work with the other side. I think that is going to be put to the test. 
if it's a divided Congress, which it seems like the most likely outcome right now. But here's a clip from the post-midterm press conference where President Biden addressed uh, his prospects for 2024. Our, our intention is to run again. That's been our intention, regardless of what the outcome of this election was. My judgment of running when I announce, if I announce, my intention is that I run again. But I'm a great respecter of fate, and uh, this is ultimately a family decision. I think everybody wants me to run, but they're go we're going to have discussions about it. And I don't feel any, any hurry one way or another what, to, to, to make that judgment with today, tomorrow, whenever, no, no matter what the, 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 my predecessor does. So as of right now, neither house has been officially called for either party. And... We can expect to be waiting for a while because that's how we do elections in America. We wait our time. The Shana Show will be keeping close track of what comes out of this year's midterms as the results and the numbers pour in. Now, if you want to stay on top of all things, then check out our live coverage, our live blog on the shanashow.com. You can hit the 2020 uh, your uh, tw- decision 2022, your voice, your vote. It's going to be a tab in the menu option on the homepage. You can click on that and you'll have the live blog right in front of you. Uh, or you can check out our social medias, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as well to keep track of the results as some projections continue to come in and there are still a few to be called. We'll be keeping tr- a close track. We'll be keeping a close watch on this race. Uh, yeah. And, th- and so That was the midterms. Stay tuned for what else is next. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. And so that does it for us here today at the Sean S. Show. If you like my commentary, then go ahead and follow the Sean S. Show on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news posts and updates about the show. And if you want to learn more about political stories, then check out my political news blog on the SeanSShow.com and go ahead and subscribe to it. Do us a favor and share this episode and all your other favorite episodes with your friends and family. It's the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.